pretty good. It's nice to have him back. Give him, him and Rosemary a nice welcome. My wife is away today with half a dozen or whatever it is, the number of ladies who are up at Mount Tambourine on the Baptist Women's Conference thing. Just meant I had to dress myself, get my own breakfast this morning. Got here late for that breakfast. Not that I have breakfast, I really can't eat before I speak because I get reflux. And so I'd spend half the time going... <laughs> yeah. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift we have in Jesus of salvation, of eternal life, of spiritual gifts to serve, and of a church to belong to. We thank you for the wonderful gift of your word. And we pray that the written word, which teaches us about the living word, the Lord Jesus, might become the lived word in each of our lives. Speak to us, enlighten us, shape us and transform us that we might become increasingly like Jesus. We ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we find ourselves in this morning. I want to read to you the whole chapter. <clears throat> It's a continuation of Paul's argument from chapter 8 and which will continue into chapter 10. 8, 9 and 10 fit together as one large issue which he is combining in all sorts of ways as we'll come to. These are Paul's rights as an apostle. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? All of the answers demand a yes response. Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the rights to food and drink? Don't we have the rights to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles? and the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the rights to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk? Do we say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law, the scriptures, say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, don't muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary... We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 
but I've not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you'll do such for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust or the stewardship committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And so not make use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, and so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Why? So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Don't you know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore... I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is God's word to us through his servant, Paul. The Corinthian church, which the Apostle Paul founded, has fallen into some difficulties and there are divisions and there are all sorts of things going on as we've been talking about. And the Apostle Paul has caught wind of not only some of the issues because they've written to him, but he's also had people come and tell him things. And one of the things that's been reported to Paul is that there is a group of people at Corinth who not only disagree with his stance, which he outlined in chapter 8 about what should we do about me to offer to idols, because they observed his behaviour and they criticised him as being one who was inconsistent. As he outlines in chapter 9, to the Jews he became like a Jew. To the Gentiles he became like a Gentile. To those under the law he, became like, he was like a chameleon. He kept swapping and changing on depending who he was with. And the Corinthian group saw him as being inconsistent. This same group, whether they were part of the founding church or whether they in fact had come in later... As verse 2 leads to, he says, even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. These others are not expanded or defined for us. So whether they came in after the founding of the church or whether they were there as a part of it, nonetheless they're in this group who are opposed to the apostle Paul and they question his apostleship. They undoubtedly would have heard his story about how he got converted, how he saw the Lord Jesus, and that's what he says here. Haven't I seen our Lord? It's not just the Acts 9 reference where he got converted, where he saw the Lord. He also encountered the Lord at numerous occasions and personal visits from Jesus. And in fact, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following, I think, the Apostle Paul at the communion that we often quote says, For I passed on to you that which I received from the Lord 
Jesus gave him those instructions. And there are other occasions in the book of Acts that talks about how Jesus appeared to Paul at night and gave him instructions and encouragement and so on. Other passages talk about everybody deserted me but the Lord was with me. Paul certainly saw the Lord, encountered the Lord, went into Arabia for three years, Galatians chapter 1, where he was taught, it would appear, personally, by the risen Lord Jesus. The Corinthians, for whatever reason, started to doubt or question the, uh, Paul's apostolic authority and calling because he didn't behave like the other apostles. He didn't meet the qualifications of Acts chapter 1. Remember where they had the election after Judas had gone off and offed himself? You had to be someone who walked around with Jesus for all the time since the baptism of John. And you had to be someone who had seen the risen Lord. And he doesn't meet those criteria. He saw Jesus after the resurrection, not during his earthly life. The Apostle Paul is writing. Now this is disputed amongst commentators, but what I think Paul is doing is taking these criticisms and offering a defence for his apostleship. And at the same time, he's continuing his reason and his argument from chapter 8 about while I am free, I choose not to do certain things in certain circumstances in order that I won't either offend others or that I can offer the gospel freely. And he's combining that in this chapter. It's both the defence of his apostolic calling and authority, but it's also and primarily a continuation of his argument of how we should treat one another how other people's opinions and views ought to influence the choices that I make and he's going to add to that in chapter 9. In the city of Corinth this group of Corinthians probably wealthy though that's not important but they were a group it would appear that wanted the apostle Paul to be far more impressive and Paul was decidedly unimpressive so was Jesus by the way he wasn't very flattering to be with He wasn't easy to manipulate. The wealthy people would have invited the Apostle Paul, come and stay at our house. And the Apostle Paul declined. Travelling preachers, prophets, missionaries, itinerant philosophers in those days earned their income by one of four ways. They either received it uh, by charging a fee. They either received, uh, received their income by patronage, by a wealthy person housing them, feeding them, clothing them and supporting them financially. But with that came an influence, with that came the ability to have a sway and a direction because you were paying for them to be here so you could direct them. The third way was by begging, which might very well be the equivalent also of having spoken or preached or done the philosophical thing that they passed the hat around at the end of the meeting. The fourth way, which is the way the Apostle Paul chose, was to be self-employed, to do your own work. And Paul had dismissed the first three ways of earning an income pretty early on in his ministry and occasionally, very occasionally, allowed a church to supply and meet his needs, the Philippian church, for instance. But outside of that, the Apostle Paul took great delight and great pride in that he had the skills of a tent maker and that he would work with his own hands, earn his own income, in order that he could offer the gospel for free to people in whatever community he went to. The other apostles didn't do that. The brothers of Jesus didn't do that. They took their wives with them and when they travelled, the church and the Christians supported them and paid for them. And Paul says, as you should, that's right. And he gives lots of reasons of why that's the case. And then 
He's not trying now to justify or to explain to the Corinthians why he chose to behave in a different manner to them. They wanted someone who was articulate and Paul wasn't. They wanted someone who was showy and Paul wasn't. They wanted someone who was respectful and go toe-to-toe with the philosophers and the debaters in Corinth and Paul wasn't. He wasn't eloquent. He wasn't overly articulate. He wasn't great at doing that sort of thing. In his weakness, God used him very powerfully. And he founded the church in Corinth. And now there was this group who were criticising him, questioning him, and they didn't like what he was teaching and giving replies to, which is what he's now amplifying for us here. The Apostle Paul is basically going to say, God has given us, all of the apostles and these itinerant missionaries and preachers, the right to be supported by the churches to which we go in ministering to those areas. That's a right that we have. Verses 1 to about 16, he argues that point. And then he says, while I have that right, I also have the freedom not to exercise that right. That doesn't disqualify me from the call to be an apostle. That's his argument. He defends his right to renounce it. Let's work our way through it reasonably quickly. In verses 4 and following, Paul says, here is my defence. Well, just as an aside, um, I've spoken to you a little bit at verse 1 about have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Aren't you the result of my apostolic work, founding of the church? Verse 2 he says, And though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you see the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You above all people should not doubt God called me, God used me, God was at work in my life. This is my defence, he says, to those who sit in judgment on me. Number 1, verse 4, Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to be supported? Yes, we do. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? Yes, we do. And I don't have one. Whatever happened to her, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, and so on. He says the other apostles do that. They take their believing wife along with them. So that you not only pay for the apostle, you support the wife as well. Interesting. It's interesting Paul knows what the other apostles are doing. And he also knows about the Lord's brothers. And he also knows particularly about Peter, what's going on there. In verse 6, he says, or is it just me and Barnabas who do it this way? He even knows what Barnabas is doing. This is after he and Barnabas have had that argument, have split and divided. So all that has gone on in the background. The Apostle Paul has kept in touch with what these other brothers and itinerant preachers are doing. He says, verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Nobody. This is common sense. This is... Very ordinary, everyday life examples. Who plants a vineyard, doesn't eat the grapes? Who tends a flock and doesn't eat the goat, drink the milk or enjoy a leg of lamb or whatever it is? You enjoy the benefits. Labour leads to a living. If you work, you get wages. That's the argument. Then he says, verses 8 to 10, there's also a biblical precedent. The Bible says, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, which is what led some people to say, pastors therefore are like an ox. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Well, God is concerned about oxen, but that's not the point of this passage. God's not just concerned about animals. He's concerned about the principle. He's concerned about us, that if we work, we have a right to derive benefit from it. This is Paul's argument, and he pushes the point, and he'll go on pushing it all the way down to verse 14. Um, He says, yeah, but you're involved in spiritual ministry, not physical ministry. Verse 11, if we've sown spiritual seed... Among you, isn't it right that we reap some sort of material benefit? We provide a service 
and you get rewarded for it. And we all go, yes, of course, we, that's how the world operates. If others have this right of support from you, then shouldn't we also have this right? Of course. But we don't use this right, Paul says, verse 12. On the contrary, we put up with all sorts of things in order not to hinder the gospel. It had occurred to Paul that if he was to preach, and without casting any aspersions upon other preachers, but for him, if he was to preach and if he was to receive wages for doing so, he could be misunderstood that he's doing it for the money. And he wanted to remove any possibility of any sort of hindrance. The gospel is about the free love and grace of God and he wants the gospel therefore to be free. Billy Graham came to Australia back in 1968 and I can remember watching TV in 1968 and watching a bloke called Mike Willisey. Heard of him? Now I might have that totally wrong. It might have been 1979. Probably it was more like 1979. And Mike Willisey said to him, so how much will you make in your visit here to Australia? Billy Graham said, well... I don't make anything from the public gatherings. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people would be attending and there would be an offering taking up and he said none of that goes to me. He drew a salary from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, a, a normal pastor's salary, nothing highly inflated and that's what he lived on. Mike Willis, he had done his research, he says, but you have $12 million in the bank. He said, I don't. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has $12 million in the bank. See? Mike Willis's perspective was, you're doing this for what you get out of it. That's the criticism, by the way, of Hillsong, of um, Brian, no, 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 Houston, thank you, which he didn't handle well uh, about 10 years ago in answering it. I think he, and I hope he's answering it much better now. Which is why Rick Warren, when he wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life, and made millions out of it, and is a millionaire today, but continues to drive the same truck, live at the same level and gives away 90% of his income to God's work and missions and everything else. After the success of that book, he was interviewed by Time magazine. First question. Church, thousands of people. So how much money do they pay you to send your preaching? Now what he did is, once he received those millions from the making of the book... He went to the treasurer of the church and he says, he'd been there, I don't know, 25 years, I'm making that up, a long time. And they said, how much has the church paid me for that 25 years? They worked it out, they calculated, let's say it came to, I don't know, three, four or five million, whatever it was. So then he wrote a check for that amount and gave it to the treasurer of the church so that effectively for the last 25 years, whatever they, money the church had given him, he now gave it back to the church. So effectively he had been there for... No amount of money. Time magazine interviewed him. First question. First question. How much money do they pay you? How much money have you made off this huge church? Answer? Nothing. Rick Warren says, got him. That's what the Apostle Paul is wanting to do. He's wanting the freedom to be able to say, I do this and it's for free. That's not casting any aspersions upon people who earn their work from their labours I do I haven't put aside that right most pastors that I know haven't some have they live what they say is by faith they trust that God will be providing for them and they refuse to receive any form of salary well the Lord bless them if that's the calling 
on their life. On Paul's life, it was this other direction and call. The Apostle Paul then says, <clears throat> verse 13, it's almost like he's about to move on in his illustration. He says, don't you know those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? The priests in the temple. Whether it's the Jerusalem temple or whether it's a pagan temple, doesn't matter. Priests who work in a temple are paid and supported by their work in the temple. And Jesus said a similar thing, verse 14. In fact, Jesus commanded that those who earn their living by the gospel, those who preach the gospel, should earn their living from the gospel. That's the end of the argument. <clears throat> so Paul is saying, I agree with you, Corinthians. I have the right to receive your support. The fact that I didn't receive your support doesn't undermine my call or my reliance upon you. It doesn't make me superior or any difference. Just this is what I choose and prefer to do. I have the right to not accept your support because I want the gospel to be free. You can't purchase it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's free. The principle, I guess, for us, and the Apostle Paul could be saying to them and to us, when you are blessed by someone, it's appropriate for you to give back. That's worth thinking through and thinking about. I have the right to be supported, the Apostle Paul says, verse 15, but I choose not to be. And then he goes on to explain, well, why? Why do you choose to do that? Well, he says, I go around preaching the gospel, and I do that because God has called me to do it. I don't get a choice in doing that. God called me. It's a duty. It's a response. I have to go and do it. But if I do it just simply out of a sense of duty, then there is no benefit to me. Yes, I'm being a, a, a faithful steward. I'm being obedient. And there'll be some sort of blessing that will come because of that. But there's something else in it for me. There is that. But he says, I want to be obedient to the call to preach the gospel, but I want to do it for free in order that I can have the sheer delight and joy of being able to say to people, no, it's free, take and receive. He wants to have the thrill and the experience, the enjoyment of that. That's what he says has been his experience. And you've probably had that experience too, haven't you? I'd be surprised if you haven't. See, the gospel is free. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's offered freely. We get a glimpse of that sort of feeling that God must have in offering it freely to us because of his incredible love. And the joy he gets in doing so is at Christmas time. When we give gifts to those who can't afford but who long for and want a particular thing and you give it to them for Christmas for free and the sheer delight that they have is the gift or the reward to you understand what I'm talking about it's more blessed to give than to receive and if you've never had the experience uh, you're missing out it's the best thing I had a guy come into my office I think I told you a little while ago not from our church from the community um, not a church attender raised went to a Christian a school with Christian influence understands that there is a God he's married just had his first child completely overwhelmed with thankfulness 
didn't think they would probably be able to have children and he was okay with that choice but eventually she fell pregnant they have a little girl and he just thought you know the right thing and the thing I want to do is to give thanks to God can I he rang can I come to the church to give thanks to God I said no of course you can turns up here one Saturday and what he meant was he wanted me to God for him but he wanted to do it at the end so we we chatted I gave him a book on child dedications and stuff and chatted and lovely guy and uh, so we prayed prayed a prayer of thanksgiving and you know he bowed his head he closed his eyes humbled himself and prayed along said amen at the end then at the end takes out his wallet and grabs a wad of notes not one or two a wad of notes and I said thank you very much (laughs) I said no 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 we don't do this for the money you take that money and take your wife out and you go to a nice restaurant and be very thankful the joy of being able to say that because you already support me then I am free to be able to do that I can do weddings and I can do funerals for free. People don't have to pay. And in this world, that's becoming increasingly rare. The Apostle Paul had that experience and he loved it. It floated his boat. It lit his fire. It blew his hair back. It thrilled his heart. It was the joy of giving. And the Apostle Paul is continuing the same argument. He's not changing gears. Now he's going to explain, well, I have this freedom. I have the right to be supported and I choose not to be supported. Now, what about this issue of me being inconsistent, being a chameleon? To these people I was like that and to these people I was like that. Why did I do that? Well, while it might appear to be inconsistent, the motive behind it renders it consistent. He says, to us, I became like a Jew. When I was with Jewish people, I would go back under their old restrictions, their diet, their rituals, their style of worship. I didn't have any trouble adapting to that, being able to go along with it. Why? So that I could build a bridge and a relationship in order to present the gospel to them. To those under the law, with their diet and their Sabbath observations and stuff, I gave up ham and eggs for breakfast it's like living with someone if they have a gluten intolerance then you go and you're having gluten-free toast and gluten-free cornflakes and if you've never tried them be very thankful (laughs) they are improving at communion that's why we have gluten-free bread because we have at least half a dozen and some people far more worse than others who are gluten intolerant There is a better way to do it, I know, but we don't do communion that way. But if we do, then we can make it a lot easier. Some churches, instead of communion coming to you, you go to it. And so you simply say, and over here we have a a gluten-free option. So those six people can go get their own gluten-free and the rest of us can pig out on unleavened or leavened bread and enjoy ourselves. But we sort of figured communion's not about us enjoying ourselves. Communion is about remembering Jesus and denying ourselves and identifying with our brothers and sisters who won't and can't participate if we don't meet them at that point. So that was an easy decision to make. 
to those who are outside the law, Paul says, I became like them. Like the Gentiles, I'll go and eat their food, I'll hang out with them. To the weak, to those who have scruples about things, like back in chapter 8, he says, I became just like them. This selfless accommodation to the people he is trying to reach for the gospel is what drove him. Yeah, I won't say that. Paul wanted there to be no obstacle to the gospel. Travelling preachers, prophets, itinerant philosophers back in those days were as popular as bands and pop singers' concerts are today. They would make gazillions at each performance which is one of the reasons the Apostle Paul said not for me and as I've said renouncing that right gave him great joy because it is more blessed to give than to receive if you have a look at verse 23 the Apostle Paul says I do all of this for the sake of the gospel in order that I might be a participant with others in its blessings It's not about being inconsistent. It's about consistently trying to reach people who are in different socioeconomic and different religious quarters and beliefs and blocks. If you're going to reach your Muslim neighbours, you're going to have to go to their community. You're going to have to stop doing some of the things you can do in order that you can reach and associate with them. That's the point. If you're going to reach your Catholic friends that come Easter, only eat fish on Good Friday. To them, it's important. To you, it doesn't matter anything. So you have the freedom. And you also have the freedom not to have to do it. In order that you might reach them. That's the point. Then the Apostle Paul goes to an illustration an athletic illustration about runners and about boxers and he's basically saying the Christian life is like a race and if you're going to compete in these Isthmian games which are the games in Corinth they're held every three years A you had to be a Greek citizen and B you had to go into strict training for a period of 10 months and you were asked the question at the end of that before the games have you been training strictly have you observed the diet have you done the training so you had to agree to it and Paul uses that as an illustration for saying the Christian life is like a race. It's not a spectator sport. If you're going to be involved in it, then it involves strict training. It will, it will involve self-denial. You have, the athlete has the freedom to be able to do that. He can eat whatever he wants to eat, but he won't achieve the goal. He won't qualify for the event. He doesn't have to get up early and go out running and exercising. He can stay longer and sleep in bed. He can choose to do that. But if you choose to do that, then you miss out, you get disqualified from the prize. So in the Christian life, we are to make choices which discipline ourselves in order that we might win the prize. It's not salvation. We already have that in Jesus. We're a citizen of the kingdom of God. The prize is the sheer delight and joy of seeing other people receive the gospel, of participating with them in the gospel, of seeing other people come into a relationship with Jesus. And he likens the Christian life also to a fight. And the Christian life is a fight. We fight against sin. We fight against the flesh. We fight against the world. We fight against the devil. It is a fight. 
And at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul will write the words that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Brings those two analogies back together again. I have kept the faith. So the Christian life is not a spectator sport. It's you need to sign up, you need to be involved for the purpose of winning others. Jesus became one of us. He engaged with and he identified with us. He heard our questions and he asked questions. He was immersed in our fallen world and he shared with us. And eventually he gave up for us everything. Not only did he give up things to come into our world, even when he was in the world, he gave up things in order that he could build bridges to people that he might win some. What Jesus did is what the Apostle Paul is trying to do and what we are called to do. Eventually Jesus lost it all. He gave his life in obedience to what God had called him to do. And it was the goal, the prize of people being saved, people coming into a saving relationship that kept Jesus on target, that kept him going. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What Jesus has done is what Paul is trying to do and what we are called to do. We are free in Jesus. Now, because we are free, doesn't mean we are free to do whatever we are like. We are free to choose and not to, not to choose to do things provided we do not hurt or hurt anybody else, hurt or offend them, causing them to sin, or we're not to hinder them in coming to faith in the Lord Jesus by the choices we make. They're the principles. I'll leave you to work out the application. Time is gone. Let's stand together. We'll close with prayer and then we'll go and have morning tea together, I think. <clears throat> You might be here this morning and you might have a question. You might have a concern. You might have a heartache. You might want someone to pray with you and for you. You can do that with the people who are around you, praying for one another. You can do it, if you like, by coming to the front and there'll be somebody here to pray with you. You can fill in the card and ask for prayer. You're not called to carry it alone. We're called to carry it together. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as you gave up the glories of heaven to enter our world, as you associated with those who were far from God, as you have found us, so Lord, send us. Help us to give up our rights and our demands, our wants, in order that we might reach those who are far from you. Help us to immerse ourselves in their culture, in their environment, to hear their questions. And we ask for the opportunity to share the truth as it is in Jesus. And help us to do that in a way, Lord, that the gospel is perceived and experienced to be free. Freely offered. Freely received. Freely embraced. 
Lord, use us. Use us in all the circumstances and relationships and conversations of this coming week. Fill us with your spirit. Pour out your grace upon us and through us to touch a hurting and divided world. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his honour and for his sake. And everybody said, God bless you everybody. Please be seated.